Live from Mexico City, this is The Morning Break with Graham Stanley, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Morning Break. My name, as the introduction said, is Graham Stanley, and my special guests today are Lenise Butler, CEO of Burlington English Mexico, and Andy Hockley, educational management trainer, writer, consultant, and project management specialists. Among other things, we'll be talking about change management, in particular, managing technological change. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham, speaking to you live from Mexico City. On today's show, as I said, I'll be talking to Linnies Butler and Andy Hockley about managing technological change. Now, Linnies works in educational publishing and is based in Mexico, and Andy is an educational management trainer, writer, and consultant who lives in Romania, in Transylvania, to be exact. We'll be talking about change management, specifically handling and leading technological change in education, why it's important, what you can do to prepare for it, whether you're an individual or an organization, or work for an organization rather, what benefits you can expect if you do it well, and what issues it can cause if you ignore it or don't manage it well. Now, at the end of our conversation, we will have a chance, you will have a chance to call in uh, if you're listening live. You can join me live and talk about any of this or something else if you prefer. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And you can join me live in the studio by downloading the Podbean app or going to your browser and going to ttradio.org and clicking on the Listen Live button. Once in the studio, we can chat and I can invite you to be a speaker. And I hope there are some of you out there who attempted to join me to talk about this or, or anything else. Now I'll be talking to Andy and Lise right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. TES magazine reported on news that Education Secretary Gillian Keegan 
said that the proposed schools bill will not progress in this parliamentary session. The bill itself was originally launched in May this year and covered a range of areas including school attendance, safeguarding and new powers over multi-academy trusts. Ms Keegan spoke at the Commons Education Select Committee, confirming that the schools bill will not progress in the third session. She also said her department remained committed to the objectives and would be prioritising some aspects of the bill. Of the aspects of the bill Ms Keegan stated she wanted to focus on, she identified the need for a register to identify an account for children not in schools, as well as helping more faith schools join multi-academy trusts. One area not seen as a priority, however, was the creation of more grammar schools, with Ms Keegan stating her strong views that 93% of children will never get to go to one, and the belief that the academy structure remains the route to make the biggest difference to the most children the quickest. The Mirror Online carries a story about Labour MP Zara Sultana's proposal to widen the free school meal scheme in primary schools across England. Under the plans, all primary pupils would get access to free school meals. The current scheme for universal free school meals ends in year two. The article suggests that under the current plan, around 800,000 children living in poverty miss out on free meals due to the strict eligibility criteria. Ms Sultana will bring forward a bill in the coming week. The MP for Coventry South said it was a major issue when families simply can't afford everyday groceries and that providing meals for school was another strain. She went on to point out that both Scottish and Welsh governments have plans to introduce universal free school meals, but accused the government in England of prioritising tax breaks for the wealthiest people. Warwickshire World Online News site reports on the arrival of delegates from around the world to a conference focusing on developing technical education. More than 50 visitors attended the event organised by the British Council at Warwick Trident College. The college is part of the WCG group. Guests arrived from a range of countries in Africa and Asia, with delegations including government ministers and education officials. A spokesperson for the WCG said technical education is one of the key pillars of a successful developing economy and that the hope was that delegates would take away some insights which will have a positive impact on their country's developments in technical and vocational training. The latest Sunday Times Schools Guide has been released and many local news outlets are reporting on the successes of schools in their surrounding areas. Northern Ireland outlets report that the guide has rated seven secondary schools in the national top 50, calling this a significant achievement in light of the nation's comparatively small population. It was acknowledged that several of the Northern Ireland schools mentioned in the list have been described as highly selective grammar schools, with the DUP's Diane Dodds noting that whilst Northern Ireland is punching above its weight, there will always be areas where improvements can be made. She went on to point out that the list as a whole is dominated by expensive fee-paying schools. Finally, Keele University has launched the UK's first law undergraduate degree designed to help tackle the climate crisis. The new course in Law with Environmental Sustainability is the first of its kind in the UK. It has been developed to create legal professionals with a good knowledge of environmental obligations on governments and communities. Professor Alison Brammer, head of the School of Law at Keele, said, The climate crisis affects everyone and we need legal professionals who understand the issues we face.
This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So hello, Linnies and Andy. How are you two? Good morning. Doing well, thank you. Yeah, doing fine, thanks. Good afternoon from here, but anyway, yes. Oh, yes, of course. Good afternoon, not good morning. <laughs> so uh, I'd, love, I'd love to start by asking you to let us know more about what you do and how you ended up where you are now. I know you're based in Mexico, Linnies, and uh, I hope the earthquake didn't uh, unsettle you yesterday as much as much as it did me. And uh, Andy, I think you live in Romania, is that right? It is, yeah, yeah. So perhaps, Lenise, starting with you, uh, you're CEO of Burlington English, but what does that mean? What do you do? <laughs> Indeed. Yes, well, that's a great question. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. Uh, the earthquake, we did feel it yesterday, but luckily it wasn't It wasn't terrible, but they're always unsettling, aren't they? Um, so yes, I'm CEO of Burlington English in Mexico. So I have the distinct pleasure to work with Burlington English, um, the, the worldwide company, and we're bringing in our digital products here to Mexico. And it's a, we are dedicated to um, creating platform and materials for English language teaching and learning, um, as well as assessment. And we've decided that in Mexico, we'll bring in uh, materials for higher education and adult learners, as well as some products for young children. Um, for me, it's been a great adventure. I've been with Burlington for the last year and a couple of months. Um, it's been a great adventure to work with Burlington. It's an excellent company. I love the quality of the products. But it's been an interesting um, turn in my experience, in my professional experience. I've moved into this role from working with very large universities and, and other school settings. And so it's been very exciting for me to bring in my, my background and experience into what I'm doing today and to be able to support schools and education in Mexico in a different way. Um, I mean, I could go down to the nitty gritty of the day to day, but we get to do a little bit of everything. And the best part is to work with leaders in different schools and talk to them about how we can best support their English language teaching needs. Um, and that's that's the part I really enjoy the most. Thanks, Louise. And uh, Andy, you're freelance. You've been freelance for some time. Is that right? And you're yeah, yeah, flying around the world. Giving... Yeah, well, I used to fly around the world until COVID. Of uh, course. Now I don't go anywhere. So I live in this small village in the mountains in, in Transylvania, which is a wow. real place. Sometimes, sometimes people tell me, you know, you don't really live in Transylvania, do you? And I'm like, yes, it's really exists. <laughs> I do live here. And, you know, I used to have this very balanced thing where I would spend nine months of the year in my little quiet village and then jet around the world and now i'm just just spend 12 months of the year in my quiet village in transylvania as a freelance educational management training well, consultant i've seen the pictures of of where you live in the the forest and stuff and it looks uh idyllic i, I can imagine uh it's quite something to to live in that part of the world actually it's gorgeous yeah and i could just walk out the door and be in the mountain you know like walk in the mountains um, beautiful five minute walk and i'm in i'm in the, i'm in the forest and in the mountains i have to be a little bit careful of bears but apart from that we're all right bears not vampires then no vampires no well i'm not not that you not that you've not noticed. know about <laughs> <laughs> so um given the geographical geographical differences how did you both end up writing a book together? And what was it about technological change that interested you? Uh, shall I start, Lelise? <laughs> I mean, sure. I'm not sure it is. I'm not entirely sure if I remember. Lelise <laughs> uh, and I have only met in person once, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in in Mexico, in fact. I was I came over to do something in Mexico, UVM in Cuernavaca. Cuernavaca. 
about I'm going to say about four years ago, but I'm never sure about these things. I say things like about four years ago, and then I find out it was ten. <laughs> <laughs> it was about four uh, years ago. Yep. <laughs> and um, so we we had met, but then when CUP approached me about the book and about being i'm actually the series editor of the books yeah they 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 said oh well, we really want to do a book about this subject leading technological change and have you heard of do you know that do you know lenise butler and i said oh yeah i have met lenise butler and they said because well, lenise would also we, we'd also like lenise being involved so that's how i understood that it may well be that lenise has a different story i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, yes. I, so it was about four years ago. I knew of Andy because I was working uh, in, in the university and requested some materials from Cambridge and they brought us Andy's book from teacher to manager and myself and my coordinators, we went crazy for it. We loved it. It was so helpful in the organization. And so Cambridge said to me, why don't we bring him in to do some, some training for you? Um, so, of course, I met Andy with stars in my eyes and found out he was a, an amazing guy and not just on paper. Um, and then I was approached also by Cambridge, who said, you know, we've got this title we'd like to have written and we are going to work with Andy Hockley. Would you be interested? And I at first said, of course not. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I've never written a book and it's Andy Hockley. How am I going to write a book with Andy Hockley? Um, and, and, <laughs> and Karen said, please, let me just just talk to him. So we had a conversation and we seemed to hit it off and, and that's how it all started. I said, well, why not? Well, I should try. Um, and so it was a great experience for me, but that's how it, that's how it came together for me. Fantastic. I think change management is such a, an important aspect about academic management or school or, or, or language school organization, et cetera, management. Change management, especially in the context of education is, is such uh such it's a crucial thing isn't it what are the main things that educational organizations need to keep in mind just in general about change management if they want to make a major change to the way they work did you want to start andy uh okay um well obviously you know you have to be aware any organization not just an educational organization has to be, has to be aware that they need to be ready to change mm-hmm. because if you stay where you are you get left behind um and obviously in education you're dealing with various changes in our understanding of the way with the way students learn uh obviously in this case technological changes methodological changes um and different other changes and of course sometimes there's emergency urgent change just like happened when the pandemic began two years ago and suddenly we all had to go online which was obviously it wasn't so much a it wasn't certainly wasn't a planned change for most people it was very much a emergency change in that regard but i think you know change is incredibly part of the part of life um that we can't we can't avoid so i think you know that's that the first thing you have to be aware of is how can we make things how can we make our organization sort of flexible because we don't necessarily know yet what the next change is going to be but we have to be ready that it may happen soon or or we may decide that we need to change things or we mean we, we need to move on we need to do things in a different way offer new products whatever so that would be the kind of the sort of the starting point if you like that would be for me that's the starting point of of of, of where all this starts from you know it's, it's having this culture of uh organizational culture which everyone is like 
maybe aware and alert to what's going on out there, what's happening in the world and what might be interesting or, you know, what is it that the, our students need? Or what, how, how is it that our students are learning or, or, you know, how do they need help in a different way? Is there something that they're really struggling with that we don't have the resources to help them with? Yeah, very good point. Anything to add, Lenise? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think, I, you know, I've worked in education for my entire professional career, and I've been in different roles. I mean, I've been an, an aide, I've been a teacher, I've been a coordinator, I've been a director, I've been a manager, I've been a leader, um, I've been a substitute, I've been all over the board. Uh, and I think one thing that happens is there's a lot of and this goes very hand in hand with what Andy just said. There's a lot of fear around the idea of changing something because we don't want to we don't want to rock the boat. We we don't want to disrupt whatever seems to be working well enough in the organization. And I think, you know, it's it's it would be so much easier if we were able to have open conversations and 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 come to the understanding that everything probably won't be perfect at first. It's gonna take some work and we can expect some disappointments along the way, but change is a necessity. And if we're not afraid to try things out and to be able to have an open dialogue around, you know, what it means and when complications come up, you know, we're still going to work together to make it happen. I think things would be so much better because in, in language teaching organizations and schools and universities, um, you know, we are so connected to what the parents might think and what how it will affect tuition, et cetera, et cetera, that that sometimes we're not really open to change. Um, and and every change involves complications, ups and downs, right? And so making aware of that awareness of that from the beginning, I think, is 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 really important. So that also that the people who are involved in change aren't afraid of their participation. No, I think that's that's what I would add. Yes, very, very good points. Um, turning to technological change in particular, I think everyone who has ever used a computer or a mobile phone uh, understands that technology needs to be updated frequently. Otherwise, there's a risk of data loss, of wasting your time, or generating a lot of frustration with tools that don't or uh, don't work or don't want them don't don't do what they want them to do so that happens to us all uh and speaking as someone who's just replaced his computer for a new one uh the usual reaction when you do so is is why didn't i do that earlier why did i spend so much time struggling on with that old old machine basically a lot of the time it's <laughs> it's to do with you don't want to spend the money but uh or you or the reluctance to change as you said Lenise. but um are there any accepted guidelines you think when it comes to a larger scale, either on a project or, or an organization of when you should adopt technological change, either replacing technology or, or looking to do something new? Or does it depend very much on, on the context really? Yeah. Well, it, if it's okay for me to start. So um, one of the things that we actually talk about in the book is a, is a framework for how to evaluate where your organization is at in regards to change and technology and when and how it should be integrated. And there's some great tools and checklists and, and things in the book that, that could help with this question. But I, I would start by saying, I think some for some reason, um, we tend to set technology apart from other elements in the learning environment. And there's a risk in doing that. And, and I would say, and I think that Andy and I come back to this quite frequently in the book, uh, is that 
the change of technology and the and the way we use technology in the classroom and in 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 our processes, the educational process needs to be connected to the need. And if that technology actually fulfills a real need, you no. Know, um, sometimes there's there's you know there's it's a reality that organizations technology can often check boxes. So you know, do you have a, an appropriate LMS check? Does that mean it's being used correctly in the classroom? Well, that's what we really need to look at, right? And when do we know it's time to make that change? When you when you evaluate what you're doing and the current technology or the current lack of technology and make the decision on can a new piece of technology, a new software, a new element, can you bring it in? Will that help you fulfill that need? Um, and it's tough. It's tricky because technology brings in so many bells and whistles. And we also have this idea that we have the new the new generations are, you know, technology first. They do everything online, which I would argue they might do everything online, but that doesn't mean they know how to learn online. And that's our role as a language teaching organization is to, to use technology in an appropriate manner so that the learning is facilitated and in fact augmented or, or improved through technology and not just because it looks pretty and not just because it checks the boxes. Yes. Anything to add, Andy? Uh, no, I mean, that's 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 uh, largely, you know, I mean, I agree entirely with what Nate just said. I mean, on, on some level, I think there's a slight difference between technology replacement and technological change. So, you know, obviously when technology starts to wear out let's say or, or or slows down or you know needs like possibly happened with your computer you you are actually replacing one thing one piece of hardware with another piece of hardware often um which may be faster and better and actually once you've got the new hardware you might think oh i can do things that i didn't know i could do before because i've got this new hardware um so there's that kind of technological replacement but there's also this obviously technological change which is can we do something new? And I and I think we say, and as Lanise just said, that it really should come from need, and it should it should be largely driven by um, let's call him the end users of the technology. So, in a classroom setting, that would be the teachers and the students, maybe as well. Who you know, how is the technology going to be? How can we use the technology to 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 achieve something that we really need to achieve in the, in the in the sense of the teaching learning environment? Obviously, within an education organization, there are other technological needs outside the classroom as well. There's, you know, the school management software, registration software, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so I think that that is sort of like the ideal. And that's what we talk about uh, a lot in the book about how how we can create the conditions there that that teachers drive a lot of this, uh, a lot of this change. But I, I mean, the reality is also, and we also mentioned this, is that sometimes it doesn't come from teachers. Sometimes it comes from on high. Someone says, OK, you're going to have this technology, whether or not it works, mm. or whether or not it's useful for your school. And that 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 you have to adapt to that and make that work as best you can, because sometimes maybe the marketing department will tell you, OK, we need this technology because the school down the road has the same technology and they're ahead of us because that's what they're using. Or, you know, you've got upper management. If you're at a university, for example, the upper management says, well, we're going to do this. And you might be thinking, well, it doesn't really apply to us. Well, <laughs> live with it because you've got it. So, you know, there's different forms of change and change comes from different places. And, and in an ideal world, it would come from the end users. 
but often it doesn't just come from those people. So those are the, some of the kind of considerations about this technological change that's happened or does happen. Yeah, that that difference between a kind of bottom-up change to a top-down change is quite important, isn't it? I always remember reading about this Ethiopian scenario where there was transmission teaching. So the idea of having plasma screens in public schools in Ethiopia to be able to beam in teachers because there weren't enough qualified teachers in their schools and so that decision was was made as 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 i understand from the ministry of education and uh it was rolled out across the country and then all of these plasma screens turned up at schools that didn't even have electricity or running water <laughs> i think it's 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 being it's knowing knowing being very having that knowledge of exactly what the context is and what's possible and Keeping on top of technology yeah. as well is, is so difficult, isn't it? Like just knowing what is there to be able to decide, as you mm-hmm. say, Andy, uh, uh, what kind of technolo- technological change that needs to happen maybe. I mean, do do both of you keep up to date with with things that are happening um, in the world of techno- technology and, and what, what do you think is is going to be the big factor coming down the line, do you think? That's a ah, great that's question. A good question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. Well, I ask um, it because I, I don't. Actually, I ask it because I don't know, and I, I would like to know. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I I actually just did a session a couple of weeks ago, and people asked me, "Well, what are like the best technologies that you can recommend for for the classroom?" It, now, this was in an entirely different context. I wasn't talking about our book or anything related. Um, and to be fair, I'm not an expert in technology. Um, and I, my focus on technology has always been if it if it supports the learning need, then that's what we'll do. Um, and so I would say I try to keep abreast of what's happening with technology and, and what users are finding useful and and how teachers are implementing in the classroom. Um, but I, I would never claim myself to be an expert or to know. It seems like there's something new every single day. Right. Um, and when I talk with with institutions, I generally like to hear from the teachers um, because I've always said, and this applies to any kind of technology or books or anything. You know, if it's not being implemented well, it doesn't really matter how great it is if it's not if it's not doing what it's supposed to do because we're not doing it the right way. Um so in answer to your question, I mean, wh- what are the what are the trends? I can speak from what I know here in Mexico and what I've seen. And, and what I see here, are, people are looking for more technology that will support learning in the classroom. We're still living in a space today where schools are determining if they're going to go back to, to face-to-face 100%. Some of them already are. Um, English language teaching and learning is in a unique situation in Mexico because often, especially in higher ed- in higher education, its placement within the university or within the organization is very transversal. And so you have students of all different focuses trying to take class all together. And, and that lends itself more to the online environment than perhaps some of the other um, the other topics or other learning um, courses and things like that. And so, you know, what I see here is really the need is in how do I keep students engaged with the language in an online environment? And that's where I see people are really searching for tools that will help. 
Um, and as well as language support that can be done online. Because if I'm not physically able to anymore sit down with you face-to-face -face and show you, you know, how I should pronounce or, or explain, you know, clearly how the differences in language might work, you can do those things online, but you've got probably a larger group. They're all coming in from different places. They're not all necessarily signing in at the same time. And so having, having technology that will support that, I think, is important. I hear a lot more talk now than I ever did about different apps that might be used and how the LMS, the different elements of the LMS can be integrated into the classroom. So I'm not sure that answers your question directly, but from where I'm sitting, that's where I see a lot of focus. Um, and myself as not a technology expert, um, I've always focused on use rather than knowing the 853,000 different new pieces of technology that are coming out every week. Um, but that's what I can say. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think from my perspective, um, I, I have a feeling that we're in a sort of a, we're still in this, I, I won't call it post pandemic because I, I, I hope it's post pandemic, but I'm not entirely <laughs> convinced it is post yet. Um, where it's, you know, there was, you know, there were technology, technology was being introduced into language teaching and all these different things were coming and things were in, were changing rapidly and developing rapidly and then we hit March to 2020 and suddenly we all had to do things in a different way. And then I think there was a kind of a period, maybe a, well, there was a, a, a month or two or three period where people were just floundering around trying to get anything done. And then people started, how can we make this work? So a lot of the stuff that was being developed was being developed in a very fast way related yeah. to people learning at home let's say, and teaching at home, because of course, that's what we were all doing. Um, and I heard of uh, there were quite a few projects to do with virtual reality and so on, which were kind of being developed in that time period. And I think now there's, we st we're not quite sure what education is going to look like. <laughs> still, we're still not quite sure what education is going to look like. And, you know, there's some people doing everyone's back in the classroom there's some places where there's a hybrid system there's some places where they're still not back in the classroom they're still online and so things are sort of a bit amorphous at the moment um you know i mean people you know people keep talking about ai and uh you know and how that's going to affect language teaching i don't know if and when it will i don't think it really has has done yet and i but i'm not sure how that's going to happen and of course we've got technology which is potentially rendering i mean i don't want to kind of be negative but it's potentially rendering english teaching uh, redundant because we've got technology where which does translation for people and instant translation and people can talk into their phone and it comes out in another language and you know so uh, you know there are technological changes some of which may be quite difficult for our profession to cope with um in the future and others which you know which which may not be you know but the, but i at this at this stage i think because of the sort of the this this kind of what i would call this towards the end of the pandemic period it's not that clear where things are going um and i think you know i mean as denise said i think it's it's really important that we we teachers we in education drive the conversation rather than technical experts um because we know what we would like to be able to achieve in the classroom and it's if 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 we're driving the conversation and saying 
uh, can we do this? And I can work with somebody who who knows how to do that, you know, so, so an expert, an engineer or a software engineer or whatever. <laughs> if if we can have those conversations where where educators are driving the this, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And and having those kind of long involved conversations with the tech with the with the technicians, I think we'll we'll have something better than. I think to a to an extent in the past we've had a lot of things driven by the the experts the people who can who can write software or who can do these things and they're like okay we can do this and they put it together and then teachers like okay it's all right it's got some things that work quite well and I quite like it but some of it I wish it did this as well and I wish it did that but it doesn't really do everything I want it to and you know and uh, there is that kind of that danger that we that we allow ourselves to be uh, be told by people oh this is you know this is what we can do rather than say can we do this and i think if if we can do it that way will the will the the technology will develop in a in a way which is more uh, more educationally valuable i think yeah, I think that's so important, isn't it? I think you know, I've I've got friends here who um, are from abroad and they're they're interested in learning Spanish, for example, and a lot of them are starting to sort of look at ways in which to do that. And I'm always telling them, get a teacher, get a teacher. It will save you time in the long run. You learn a better, you learn better Spanish if you get a teacher. You'll save yourself some time. You'll, you know, someone who knows how to teach will 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 really you'll get a much better experience and you'll have more fun as well than trying to struggle with uh you know some of these apps i mean by all means you, you use an app to supplement it and uh but uh and, and you know just go and try to talk to people in supermarkets but you really will um benefit if you get a teacher join a class and it's it's quite surprising to me um sometimes just how that seems to be kind of a revolutionary idea these days for a lot of people. It's quite, it's quite shocking, really. It's a bit worrying um, as someone works in language education as well, that that is the case. So yeah, I, yeah, think... I think we've, uh... yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that's actually one of the inherent sort of threats um, when we're looking at technology. I don't know if threat is the right, right word, but concerns, right? And we often hear from the teacher, well, this is going to replace what I'm doing. I don't think technology does or should replace a teacher or, you know, a mentor in the language learning process. I don't think, first of all, I don't think technology is at that place yet. But second of all, I don't think we live in a world where we don't interact with people. And so, you know, you should be doing that when you're learning the language as well. But it's, it's really tempting, isn't it? Because you can get, you can get an app and you can do it from your home in your own spare time and you're not tied to a schedule. And um, I think, what I see, and especially in the younger learners now, well, like high school and up, is that they're they're much more comfortable. You know, they talk to their friends over technology. It's it's different. They they're not used to to getting together face to face necessarily. And it's great to have support to do that. But um, you know, ultimately, I think language learning needs to be done with the support of a teacher in order to be done correctly, and and for students to actually learn in a way which makes functional language. So, yeah, definitely. And so what about other educational projects that uh, you're both interested in? Is there anything that you're involved in that is exciting to you education-wise at the moment? 
Um, well, I'm at the moment. I'm. I mean, most of my work is to, is related to management, as as you know. I mean, that's the is it's ELT management is is my is my area. Um, and uh, I I've been involved for for twenty years now with this course called the International Diploma in Language Teaching Management, um, which had been for had been going for 20 years and it has a face-to-face -face and an online component and we've just relaunched that in an online only because of because of covid everything yeah. everything is because of covid so um it's now it's now an online thing we, we're in, we're doing the first course at the moment um and that's going very very well so that's my that's what i'm mostly focused on at the moment as well as as i'm writing articles and and so on and also doing a um doing some training on an ma for nile in the uk but those are the those are, that's really what i'm focusing at the moment is is basically this this new online version of a of of this course that we've been doing for for 20 years and we've sort of rewritten things and we're delivering it in ways which 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 are you know different from how we used to be delivering it so that's that's um it's it's both exciting and you know hard work <laughs> and because you, know, you have to kind of you, you take all of these things I've been doing and now change the way I do it. Uh, but it's, you know, the feedback we've got had so far from this first, the first cohort of, of students is, is very positive. So and it's going well. Great. What about you, Linnies? Um, Well, I mean, this, the role that I'm in puts me in a unique situation to talk to different types of institutions and, and, and sort of explore with them and discover how, <laughs> precisely how technology can support in their learning process. Um, so seeing some of those big questions in action for me is really exciting. Um, I also just finished a big project. It was my dissertation actually about the integration of culture into language learning programs. Um, and I've been interested in that for some time. And I think it's a, it's not a discussion that's been so prevalent as of late, but I think it's a very interesting conversation, especially now um, in this sort of pandemic world we're living in where everything has been moved online and what that means for learners and how they can be, you know, be grouped with students from different countries and different backgrounds and how we might sort of capitalize on that in this environment. That for me is very interesting as well. Um, so that's, a, I mean, they're, they're both such big, big things that we're exploring, but I think that's really where I've, I've been, um, I, I feel very blessed because there are things that I'm very interested in and I'm in a situation to explore both of them. So that's where I've been thinking a lot these days. Great. That's, uh, that's really interesting. And we touched upon this be, uh, earlier, but th this idea of there having been a real sea change when it, you know, obviously during the pandemic, um, it suddenly wasn't, necessary to try and persuade people that online learning was important because it was like online learning or no learning um and uh so i think you mentioned it a little bit andy about how things really changed and and things haven't gone back to what they were before do you think that now is a permanent change do you think that's something that organizations people because they got used to it, will continue just doing, and they'll demand that from um, educational organisations to be able to study or to be able to teach online. I've certainly seen that um, in my my work with teachers, for example, getting used to teaching online from home and thinking, hmm, can I just do this? I don't know if you've seen that. 
uh, to an extent i have seen that um and i think it, it's it it's it, it seems to be quite some i mean from the teacher perspective at least it seems to be something which is quite dependent on the personality of the teacher so i know a lot of teachers who are like oh thank god i can go back in the classroom because yeah. that's where i feel at home that's where i feel comfortable that's where i feel i'm my skills are are best used and other teachers who are well you know i quite enjoy this idea of you know not commuting and not going into an office and not work you know not and i've actually worked out how to make it work online in a, in a in in that kind of way so from a teacher perspective i certainly think uh there there's a there's a bit of a split there between what teachers like to do and what what they want to do i'd, I'd speak from the perspective of someone who prefers to be in the classroom to be honest um but and then from a student perspective i think uh probably there's a similar similar split that some some students do prefer to be in the classroom but i think you know i mean i work in let's say teacher development or you know manager development and in terms of cost for people it's so much cheaper to not travel somewhere and stay somewhere and pay for a tutor to come for to come to where you are and to be able to do it online so i think in that respect thing things have changed quite dramatically and i also think i mean i think what the pandemic has done has made it made everyone in our industry realize yeah we can do it online whereas in the past it were maybe people like you graham who knew we can do it online because you were working on it but yeah. there were people like me who were thinking yeah maybe in the future that might be possible but maybe i'll be retired by then so i don't have to worry about it so but now it feels like yeah okay we can do things online it is much more possible than many of us thought thought was the case yeah definitely so i think that's the big change for me it's 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 the realization from everybody that you know we can do this it's possible um at least within within context within contexts where the technology can support it i mean obviously places where they don't have wi-fi access or whatever it's it's a very different story but um in in, in context that i work in mostly it's i think people have realized it's possible what about your context Lenny's? have you seen that yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree first that the, the whole question around resistance to the use of technology and doing online learning, of course, changed dramatically. And it, and it wasn't a choice, right? But something we thought would take 30 years happened overnight. And there there is a real sense of accomplishment, I think, and 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 positive you know, around a positive feeling around what well, we did it, we made it work, right? There, there's areas of opportunity, obviously. And I think that that prevails in some regard that now we know we can do it, like Andy said. On the other hand, I do think it depends a bit on context and expectations. So, you know, obviously setting aside situations where technology is not easily implemented because there is an infrastructure for it, which is an entirely different discussion and a, a fascinating one, but it's still entirely different. Um, what I have seen is that it, it does depend a bit on context. And I see, and I can, I can say this as the parent of two young kids, those elementary kids need to go back to school <laughs> and we want them there all day, right? It's, <laughs> they need it for their development and their learning and doing online learning with kids that are very young is very, very difficult. Um, and, and fascinating because they do understand the use of technology, but very, very difficult. Um, and, and sort of the learning, the socialization and learning that that was missed during the pandemic is something that's very important. And then if you know, if you move up in the age group, you've got young kids who, 
you know, I don't want to take a negative turn to this, but they suffered a lot during the pandemic of not being able to see their friends of not being able to leave the house. You know, you're talking about teenagers who the last people they want to be with are their parents and they're stuck with their parents for two and a half years. Um, going back to school, I think, has been a challenge, but a welcomed one for for high school, middle school settings. Um, and then when you get to adult learning and young adult learning, I think that's where the question gets perhaps a bit more interesting in the regard that everyone has an opinion and you can't just tell an adult, well, this is how we're going to do it. And they they don't have their own opinion around that. Right. Um, and so people, what I found are looking for different options. Um, it's very interesting because we've been participating in some projects for hybrid or online 100% learning. And we think we're going to get you know, just scores of students signing up. And that might be the case. But then if we look at their production, there's still obviously something that we need to work on because they lose motivation or the technology might not be as easy for them as we thought. And so there's still, I think, a need for the face-to-face. -face. And I think that's something we're still discovering and, and each organization will have to ultimately make a decision. I think there perhaps is a niche for all of those options, right? For, for people that are good at 100% online learning. Um, but I feel like the tendency has been more to go back to at least a hybrid situation where we have contact with a person. And, and even if we do choose 100% online, um, there's still an expectation that we'll have a tutor, a mentor, or a session that we can potentially sign up and, and attend. Um, I don't know that that answers your question because much like Andy, I'm not sure we know the answer yet. Um, but I think that these are what I've seen in this context in Mexico, right? Yeah, it's such an interesting time, isn't it? I think, you know, particularly if you, you know, for your, what you've just said about technological change, really, I think we're in a, a period of high technological change and things are starting to sort of, you know, um, well, not settle, but I think there are there are a lot of things that are still being sort of decided now. I definitely agree with you. I think uh, you know it's so important. The the face to face is so important. Even even as an advocate for technology uh, and someone who has spent years sort of really embracing it and finding personally and professionally a lot in technology to to sort of promote. I think I'm so much a fan of the face-to-face -face and actually physically being in the same place as, as other people. I just find it, it quite interesting to have the choice, really, if if you can. Yeah, that's how I see it. Agreed. Right. I think um, I'm going to wrap up now um, because we're kind of running out of the time available. I apologize for keeping you uh, waiting as well at the beginning of the conversation. Um, any final words about... Uh, about the subject or anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? Well, I would say thank you for the, the forum and the space um, to discuss what we've been working on. And it's certainly something near and dear to our out, our hearts. Um, it was a, it was an amazing process for me. It was a lot of fun to work with Andy and, and, and really lean on his expertise for things. So for me, it was such a great experience. I hope people will read what we've published and, and, and enjoy it. Um, so overall, I mean, I think thank you for this space and and just, you know, we're all kind of in this together and, and look for the tools that work for you. And I think that our book provides just that, right? The users, um, the people that are in the language teaching organizations that might need support in making decisions around technologies. There's lots of tools and tips that we that we can share there. Um, so thank you for the space, Graham. That's, that's what I would say. A pleasure. Yeah, I echo what Lanise said. <laughs> yes, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Graham. It was great to talk. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, there's many more things we could talk about, but you know, it's, there's only a limited time. So, yeah, I mean, really, I think that 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 I think hopefully that's given a little bit of a, uh, a sense or a taste of 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 what what the book's about. It's it's sort of about change, but it's also about technology. Basically, it's the, it's the two things melded melded together, and you know how how you can how you can manage that change and how you can encourage that change because I think it should be about encourage as well um as well you know and, and cope with change so definitely well thank you both for your time I've, it's been a pleasure talking to you both about this subject and uh and other things and i wish you all the best with your book and future uh ventures thank Thanks you very much. so i very much uh enjoyed talking to linnies and andy about that if you're listening in live and would like to join me now, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can download the Podbean app or use your browser, go to tcradio.org and then click on Listen Live and you can join me in the studio and then I can bring you in as a speaker and we can talk about your experience of the subject or anything else that's on your mind. For those of you already in the studio, um, I would uh, love to encourage you to join me now. Uh, please let me know if you would like to speak and uh, we can I can take it from there. Otherwise, well, as you might have noticed, change management is something that I'm interested in. I've become interested in it more and more. Um, and if any of you have been through an important change process, I'm sure it interests you too, especially if you've had a role in managing the change. Now, if you've had to do that, then you know how important it is to understand the impact um, of managing what is called limiting beliefs about change and handling any resistance to change, which is one of the most important reasons why a major change may fail. And I'll speak a little bit more about limiting beliefs in a moment. Even if you don't work in management, I think as a teacher, you may have, have to uh, help manage expectations with learners or parents about changes that are happening in your school or at a stretch, even something that you implement in your classroom. You can learn quite a lot from change management from that, I think. Now, some common concerns if you are a part of a major change process are, for instance, information. People involved in the change need to be kept well informed. They will respond best. Uh, people respond best if they know what they uh, know what you know about the change. If they understand what you understand, I think if it, if everything is transparent and they understand the reasons for making the change, I think that's a very important thing. Next, I think you need to make them understand how it affects them personally. So everybody wants to know what's in for them. How how will their life be better? I think um, they need to be uh, helped. People need to be helped to understand the picture of what things will be like once the change has taken place. And then there come then the implement, implementation, of course, the concerns about implementation. Uh, during the change process, where can they go for help if they need it? And then impact, of course, as well. What difference will the change make on people's lives, on teachers' lives and learners' lives should definitely have an impact on the way they work, how the school functions, for example, or else why implement the change. Then there's collaboration aspects, how to get everyone who is affected with the change involved, 
And then finally, once a change process has been started, of course, it's how to refine the change and improve things because it's very unlikely that uh, that things will happen exactly as planned because life isn't like that, is it? So I mentioned this idea um, uh, before of uh, limiting beliefs. And these are thoughts that you think are true, but which limit you in some way. They cause you not to fully realize what you want to, for example. Now, this might be about you. It might be about your interactions uh, with other people or the world. And limiting beliefs about you, for example, could include your skills, your knowledge, your experience or behaviors. If you hold limiting beliefs related to your interactions, that might be something about the way you uh, are with colleagues, friends and family or other people in general that uh, limit you in some way. And then limiting beliefs about the world can include views you hold about work or society and how things work. And limiting beliefs are important when it comes to change management because it can affect the way that the you know it can affect the way the chain if the change is successful or not and the way that the change is implemented for example considering what limiting beliefs people hold uh, about change is important how do you determine the limiting beliefs others may hold about the change and what's being implemented well you should consider i think carefully to the language that people are using when talking about change and how it might affect them affect them how it might impact the school or the bigger picture, really try to understand what people are saying and what are you saying as well? What language are you using when it comes to the, you know, the, the change? Are you using the language, language that is actually helping people um, overcome potential resistance to it? Or, are they believing what you have to say? Are you able to provide evidence uh, that will help people understand what the change will uh, will be like are you being honest about the impact of the change as well how close to reality is it and how might you overcome any beliefs someone may have that could be limiting that might not be grounded in reality so have you been through an important change at your school or organization where you work if you have, then I would love to hear from you. As I said before, if you're listening live, why don't you join me to talk about it? Please call in. Um, and we can speak about that or anything else as well. If you're listening back to the recording and think this is something you would like to talk about, then please get in touch. I'd love to have you on the show to talk. If this is something that you know something about or... Really, if, if there's any other subject that you would like to talk about with me, then I would love to invite you to get in touch and we can, we can arrange uh, for you to come on the show and we can, we can speak about teaching, about education, about schools, about, about anything you think that may be of interest to our listeners, teachers out there. So, whatever the change scenario that you're implementing or involved in, if you are involved in a change scenario, and at some point in our lives, in our professional lives, we definitely, uh, we definitely all are. Another important factor is understanding what's called key external drivers. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, 
anything not directly involved in the change process, for example, but which may affect it. You need to know what these drivers are and reflect on how they may impact on the change that you are uh, implementing or that is being implemented. So what might be those external drivers and how would they affect um, people or the change that uh, you are going through? Well, they could be anything from the organisational culture to the structure or practices or systems in place at your school. Other things that might affect the success of the change process are things such as motivation of the people involved. How do people feel about what is being changed? Will people embrace the change or be resistant to it? And are you changing something that people like and are used to? You've made, you may have decided to change something that doesn't work well, um, but which people have a very strong emotional attachment to it. And that, even though you know that the change will be positive in the long run, uh, in the short term, it could result in a very different reaction uh, than if you're making a change to something that doesn't work well, which people aren't particularly attached to emotionally. I'll give you an example. I always remember when I was living in London, when London Transport decided to change from using the Routemaster bus to a more efficient, modern type of double-decker bus. Now, the Routemaster, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you will have seen it, I'm sure. It's that classic red London bus that was, and for many people still is, such a symbol of the city. It's a bus that doesn't have a door at the back. It just has a platform that you can step on with a pole to grab hold of. And this meant you can run for the bus, jump onto the platform as the bus is moving. So you aren't limited to getting on and off the bus at a bus stop. Uh, you, can, you, you can run for the bus as it's moving down the street and jump on and then pay the conductor, for example. I loved it, but I do recognise that it was probably very dangerous to do that and probably caused lots of accidents. And because there was no door at the back, it was also difficult, I'm sure, to heat during winter. So London Transport, of course, started to replace them. I can't remember exactly when this was, but that was some, some years ago, to phase out the Routemaster. It was a massive negative wave um, of emotion People didn't like the idea of changing these buses. Um, even people who perhaps um, weren't recognised, well, they recognised that they probably did need to change for various reasons that I mentioned before, but they reacted against it. And so much so, London Transport had to keep them much longer than they thought they had to. This is an example, I think, of an external driver that I imagine wasn't taken into account when the change was designed. And the same is true, for example, of red telephone boxes in the UK. Back in that time before the proliferation of mobile phones and when telephone boxes were everywhere, when people depended upon uh, having access to a telephone box in the streets to be able to call people. Now, I remember a change that was designed to replace those emblematic red telephone boxes to more modern, more efficient metal and glass ones. Uh, that weren't as attractive, we have to, I have to say. And there was a very negative reaction to that. And that's an example of London, of, of, well, it wasn't London Transport, it was the post office. At, um, was the post office? No, the British Telecom, I think. Reckon, uh, not recognising 
or not taking into account the emotional attachment to the way the telephone boxes looked, how much of an important symbol they were to people, uh, for example. And so the, this, is, this is very important. Both of those changes I mentioned, the Rootmaster bus and the red telephone boxes, for example, they're, they're examples of massive technological change programs that with important challenges as far as that have important challenges as far as external drivers are concerned. And no, I'm not talking about the bus drivers here, but about how people felt about the existing technology from an individual point of view too. Now you may be using a particular computer, for example, that you're used to and which you're reluctant to change because you're used to it and you don't want to change even though you know that what you're using, the software, the hardware, for example, is out of date and isn't working well, isn't as working as well as it should be, etc. Now, if you amplify that to a school, you may have a number of teachers who really don't want to change the software and computer in the staff room, or a learning management system, an LMS, because they're used to it, or even worse, when it comes to learning platforms, um, people aren't, the teachers aren't interested in changing because all of their resources that they've produced uh, are on there, and maybe these resources are platform-specific, and changing the platform would mean a lot of work to create again or well, recreate those resources or start from scratch, etc., or even just moving them to the other platform might be problematic. Quite often, it's that feeling of being locked into a software that causes us to be reluctant or very anti a technological change. I could go on. It's, it's obviously, I'm sure you've, you've noticed, it's obviously something that I'm quite interested in. But we've run out of time, so I'm going to stop there. And so that brings us to the day, to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks to today's special guests, Linise and Andy, for joining me. And all of you who joined us live, whether you're listening in the studio or just listening in any way, hello to all of you listening back to the recording too. And remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week. And you can join me again, I think, I hope, next time at the same time. But until then, bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.